presents the Pick 6 Podcast, featuring CBS NFL writers Pete Prisco and Will Brinson, NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, and host Nick Costos. You want NFL talk? We've got NFL talk. From training camp to the Super Bowl and through the NFL draft, our fearsome foursome has you covered. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Pick 6 Podcast on a football Monday. It's Nick and Will, JLC, joining us a little later in the program on Wednesday. We will have Pete Prisco on for the full recap of our Vegas trip. That has both Will Brinson and I riding the struggle bus on this Monday afternoon. Will, since my brain's operating at about 10% capacity, tell the listeners how they can get involved if they like what they're hearing. I wish that the listeners could, but wish we could pull them behind the curtain. And they I don't could. think they would want to come behind this particular curtain. I think that watching, yeah, this is a dark, dark place. This curtain is, is <laughs> you do not want to be behind it. But if you were watching the first, like, I don't know, hour that we tried to figure out how to do whatever the hell we're doing right now, because you're at home, I'm at home, we don't have our usual software, we were both in Vegas for the weekend, we had a blast. Uh, we're riding, we podcast. are, we are, we, we are not doing well at the moment physically. I mean, like I'm operating at like 48%, I would say. Is that, that feels high. And, and 48, I think, is the amount of minutes that you and I spent on Skype trying to figure it out. <laughs> so the program that Will normally uses to, to record, um, podcast when he's at home and other people are at home had to upgrade today. And the upgraded software was completely different than the previous software. And my free Adobe Audition trial ran out this afternoon. So we just spent 45 minutes still feeling like crap from the weekend in Vegas, trying to figure out these programs that neither of us know what to do with. And I guess, thankfully, that we still both feel like crap because we were laughing the whole time instead of being upset. But man, this has been an awful, awful afternoon and like awful 36 hours. Awful. Yeah, I mean, look, Vegas is a blast, and like we said, we'll we'll rehash it with Pete. I think that if we, I mean, I look like trash. I'm glad this is not a video show. I'm just like fat and furry, and like, I, I'm I'm gross as well at the moment. Yeah. It's like disgusting. But like, if if you hadn't been in Vegas, if we hadn't been hanging out with each other all weekend, it would like whatever would just happened would not have been tolerated by the other person. Yeah, correct. Like, like, I'd be like, what are you doing? You pathetic waste of a human. Get out of here. Don't record me. I don't need to talk to you ever again. Like, did uh, you have to get that drunk in Vegas that we couldn't record the podcast on Monday? No, that's right. That's right. That's right. Is it really like you left? I didn't get any sleep on Monday because I had an early flight. Um, so if you want to help us out, we're suffering here. Subscribe via iTunes. Rate, review, search Pick 6 podcast in iTunes. You can also search CBS Football and it pops up on a list somewhere. Uh, hell, I don't know. You know what? You know what? I feel so bad. Just you can give it a four star. I don't even care. Four stars. Well, I, I well, I, I would like the five star, but but okay. just 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 leave a review, leave a rating. It makes us feel really good, especially since we need that because you we know what else made me feel good? The moment. What's that, buddy? Going three and one on preseason football bets, and really, Nick, have you ever lived until you've taken the first half line of a preseason NFL game? Yeah, that was the one that we lost, actually. So, so, we, so me and Will degen out this weekend in Vegas. And again, full recap coming up on Wednesday with our guy Pete Prisco. But uh, we took the Titans first half minus three against the Jets. Uh, the Jets actually won the game, so we lost that bet. But we hit our other three. Um, I forget what the throw was. Bengals and 49ers on Friday night. And then our big bet was the Rams, Mannion time on Saturday against the Cowboys. So a profitable weekend for Will Brinson and yours truly. Now, since we were flying on Friday, we recorded an NFC preview on Thursday, so we Speaking missed quite a bit Cowboys of news. would have been a sufficient segue there. You're right. It was way too long. Again, struggle boss, you're at 48%. I'm at about 38%. So why, why don't you go ahead and set the table here with the Zeke Elliott stuff? Speaking of the Cowboys, their star running back, Ezekiel Elliott, who led the league in carries and rushing last year and should have been the rookie of the year, except Dak Prescott got him, whatever, big deal. Um, Zeke suspended six games. He got suspended six games while we were both in the air en route to Vegas. Um, that's why we didn't have a podcast last week. The, the equipment, the transportation just didn't work. And there was more news first. But, but first, the Elliott stuff. I mean, this is a huge deal. They say they're going to fight it. But Nick, I don't think it's going to work like Brady. That was a very different situation with Tom Brady at Deflategate. You know, there's all these sort of the factors in play. I mean, this is a simple case of the, the NFL is saying, look, we are going to enforce the domestic violence policy. We're suspending you six games. You, you can't do anything about it. It's collectively bargained, and he can appeal. But I would be surprised if they drop it down below four games. I think you're going to see Zeke miss the first month of the season, and that's a big factor to why I bet on the Cowboys to miss the playoffs in uh, in Vegas. 
And we'll have JLC on the program in a little bit. You've been following what he's been tweeting. He thinks that this is pretty rock solid here as far as the NFL is concerned with the six games. I mean, it could be go down to four, sure. It could also possibly stay at six. And I think it's a pretty big deal, you know, besides the obvious that, 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 yes, yes, yeah, it's a big deal when you lose the NFL's leading rusher. But this schedule early for Dallas, let's hit their first six games here, hosting the Giants at Denver, and you need Zeke for that game at Denver here because that's how you're going to beat the Broncos is pounding the rock, and they could do that with Zeke. I don't know how I feel about the poo-poo platter of Darren McFadden, uh, Rod Smith, and um, and Alfred Morris at Denver, then at the Cardinals with their defense, then hosting the Rams, who have a pretty good defense, hosting the Green Bay Packers, and they were able to beat Green Bay last year in the regular season because they controlled the clock with Zeke, and then they traveled to the San Francisco 49ers and their plucky defense. So, I think that this is going to be big, and this could really hurt Dallas here, hurt their playoff chances, NFC East chances. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that the people that are saying, "Oh, it's not going to be that big a deal," I don't think that that's true. I think this is a massive deal for Dallas, massive. And, and with the other thing that people don't forget is that, um, or people people do forget actually. They don't, people don't remember; they do forget is that Zeke Elliott's a really good pass blocker too, right? That matters when you have a rookie or a sophomore quarterback, a guy who's coming off his rookie year. Now there's tape of him. I mean, they do, you know, I, I think when you look at this, yeah, I mean, the, the, look, the schedule wasn't easy to begin with. Giants, Broncos, Cardinals, Rams, Packers, 49ers. I mean, that's that's not three layups, or that's not six layups. I mean, it's you know, you got the Rams and the 49ers who you're probably going to beat, even though San Francisco on the road. But Ezekiel's out for all six of those games. I mean, like you said, the Giants defense, very good. They played the Cowboys very well. I think the Giants, I would pick the Giants now in that game to win that game. The Cardinals have looked fantastic in the, in the, in the, in the preseason in terms of their running, uh, running defense, especially Robert Kendichi, the Broncos. I mean, He's looked a, great, by the way, Kendichi. He's looked he does, awesome. He really has. And the 49ers even have a good front seven. I mean, this is a bad spot to be in. I think they have to manage to go three and three without Zeke. I mean, look, they can go 0 and 6 and still make the playoffs theoretically, but I, I don't think that'll happen. But I mean, I don't, I wouldn't pick them to beat the Broncos, Cardinals, or Packers for sure. So that means you have to take care of business against the Giants, Rams, and 49ers. If you end up two and four, you're in a bad spot having, you know, you haven't played the Eagles at all. You haven't played the Redskins. You still have one more game against the Giants. You have to play the Chiefs, the Falcons, and the Chargers. This is a tough, tough schedule. And and the Raiders. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not it's not, it's not going to get easy for the Cowboys here. So, I think that they have to go at least three and three if it's six games without Zeke. The, the hot take artists are going to be out in full effect if the Cowboys start two and four without Zeke. So, they got to tread some water here. I think three and three is what they have to do without Zeke so they can make sure that they're good once they get Zeke back for the final 10 games of the season. No, I'm with you, and I, and I think you're right. People will be like, Tony Romo come out of retirement? Is it time for, for the Cowboys to think about going Sign to bring, bring Emmitt Smith out of retirement. If people could suggest that Tom Brady should be benched, then people could suggest that Dak Prescott could be benched for Kellen Moore. I don't think that's out of the question. By the way, like, uh, there was a brief moment. For Henry. Just to bring, just to open up the curtain again, there was a little brief moment where you maybe heard something in your ear. Don't worry about it. It was just another disastrous situation with me and Nick. You were not actually in Vegas being hungover. We were not transparenting uh, our brainwaves onto this podcast in, in like, in, in sort of. No, no, because if we were, you would be like, it's like Brand Stark. You're in like the deep, dark recesses of our mind, which is a place that, <laughs> that you definitely don't want to be. So I think that we can agree that the Zeke stuff, bad for the Cowboys. We'll talk to JLC about it a little later, get his take, and, and we'll see where it ends up if it's going to be six for what the situation is going to be there but also while we're in the air on Friday and it's crazy like we get on a flight to Vegas and like 19 things in the NFL happen how about the back-to-back trades that the Buffalo Bills pull off will you know I'm on the Jared Goff bandwagon so let's start with the Rams deal the Rams acquiring my guy Sammy Watkins um, along with a 2018 six-round pick for EJ Gaines and a second-round pick. So the Bills getting a two from the L.A. Rams, the Rams getting Sammy Watkins from the Buffalo Bills here. I love this trade, love this trade for the L.A. Rams. Watkins in a contract year here. He'll help out Jared Goff, Sean McVay's offense. What's your take on that deal, both uh, Buffalo and Los Angeles? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. One, it was pretty wild because I – I had a book, a really good book that I was I was reading, and um, so I was like, I'm not going to buy the internet on the plane, you know. I just, I just, you know, it's a long flight. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to hammer it out. I'm in a middle seat. I'm in miserable because Southwest boarding style is less than favorable. I would call it something else, but maybe one day they'll sponsor this podcast. I don't want to burn it to the ground now. Um, 
And I finally was like, ah, I'll just spend the eight bucks and buy the Wi-Fi on my phone. I can play like this golf game, like golf class or something. And, and like I, I buy it. And of course you start getting the, these alerts that showed up while you weren't, while you weren't checking. It's like Sammy Watkins traded. I was like, well, that's just not a real thing. Like, I'm being spoofed by some fake, like fake news situation. And, and true. So it turns out it's actually true. I, I think the, the one thing you have to look at from the Bills perspective is that they botched that pick. Like it was a I mean, clearly, and, and, and dude, that was the easiest first guess of all time, too. And like, yeah. you could have, you could have stood pat and drafted, or you could have gotten Odell Beckham or Mike Evans, where where they originally were before the move up. I mean, it was like that's a move that you make, and I'll put the, give you the floor back here. But when they made that deal, that's the kind of move you make when you feel like you're one piece away from the Super Bowl. Like like when the Falcons made that trade with the Browns for Julio Jones, like like the Bills were much more than one player away at that point from being a Super Bowl contender. Like it was an absolutely awful trade when it happened. So I mean, no surprise with the way it's ended up here yeah. being a disaster. Yeah, no, for sure. And it was funny, too, because I tweeted out. Somebody was like, I tweeted that. And somebody was like, oh, sounds like hindsight. And I was like, nah, dude, look at this link where I called the Bills losers. And then somebody fired back there like, you know you called the Browns winners in that headline, right? I was like, um, delete tweet. I don't feel like dealing with that all weekend. Well, but I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's your fault that they, they took Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert with their two first-round picks the next year. I mean, in theory, getting an extra first-round pick is good. But That's not right. If no, no, no. I called him with – I called him with – I called him – yeah, no, I was like, my point was I said the Browns got an extra first-round pick. They got a cornerback that they liked, considered the best cornerback in the class. Gilbert just turned out to be a bust. And they got Manziel, and they sold jerseys right away, and I liked Johnny Manziel coming in. That, in hindsight, is a disaster. But the walking thing was obvious. You don't give it that, that class there. Good for the Bills on getting a second-round pick back. Bad on the Bills now because they're in a situation where they have – Tyrod Taylor, quarterback. Sean McCoy, running back. We like those two things pretty well. But then at wide receiver, it's Anquan Bolden, Jordan Matthews, who's dealing with an injury that he suffered as soon as he got there. Like you can't make Jones, stuff the rookie. Up. Like you can't make the Jordan Matthews things up. And that's a separate trade where uh, the Bills get Ronald Darby. Uh, excuse me, the Bills trade Ronald Darby to the Eagles. They get a third round pick from Philly and Buffalo gets Jordan Matthews back. Um, I love that trade for the Eagles and for the Bills. You know, I, Bills Mafia comes out like, oh, well, now we have two firsts, two seconds and two thirds next year. But you just traded a really, really good young receiver, albeit with injury concerns and a really, really good young cornerback like when you're rebuilding you generally want to keep your young pieces like it's like saying okay with one of these picks we could take someone who might be as good as Ronald Darby or might be as good as Sammy Watkins or you can keep Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby who you already know are good so I don't buy that from Buffalo and maybe they can take these picks and be good in a couple years from now but trading away two young assets like that the Watkins one is more understandable, I think, because of the injury concerns and the injury yeah. history that he's and had. He's but a, I still don't like it. Year and they just, yeah. you know, they didn't pick up his fifth year option, right? So they say so he's going to walk, or unless they franchise tag him, it's just weird. That's the only reason I hesitate with the Rams because now you're going to have to tag him, or you're going to have to sign him to a long term deal. But if you're Los Angeles and you're trying to sort of make a push now, you do bring in a young piece. You know, look, you if you're LA. You, you would have loved to have not traded away your first-round pick this year into taking Corey Davis or Mike Williams or John Ross, but you got Sammy Watkins. And if I'm going to take a gamble on one of those four guys as an injury-prone, productive wide receiver who was drafted early in the first round, give me Watkins at the top of the list all day. He's the guy who's shown you at least that he, that he can do it at the NFL level. And that's the thing. Look, when Watkins has been on the field, he's been really good like like there is a reason why he went ahead of Beckham and Mike Evans and look and you can say in hindsight you know that Evans and Beckham are both better players tough to disagree with either of those things but people liked Watkins the best of those three there's a reason why because he's good and he was good at Clemson and he's been good in the NFL so I think it's a very worthy gamble roll of the dice by Sean McVay less need in the LA Rams so I like the trade for LA already told you I don't like it for Buffalo I like it for Philly how about with Sean McCoy Coming out after the deal, Will, this is exactly what you want if you're Jordan Matthews, right? LaShawn McCoy goes, when you watch Watkins and Matthews, it's very easy to see who the better player is. And then Jordan Matthews, chip fracture in his sternum in his first practice. And now wait, wait, wait. did LaShawn McCoy say that? He said Jordan Matthews is better than Sammy Watkins? No, no. He said Watkins is better than Jordan Matthews. Like that was <laughs> that the sucks. intimation he was making. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a dagger. LaShawn, man. Not only is Jordan Matthews. Uh, your old teammate, I believe, yes. right? But like, he's now your new teammate, and you just crapped on him in order to give props to your boy on the way out the door. That's not very nice. 
No, I think LaShawn is just, I think Chip Kelly may have scarred him. Like yeah. the Bills could trade for Tom Brady, and I think LaShawn McCoy would probably hate it because he thinks that his front office will always screw things up. That is entirely possible. I just think it would not be surprising, and I don't necessarily hate the idea if you're the Bills and you bring in Brandon Bean and you bring in Sean McDermott and you know you, that you have this just mishmash of okay players laying around on the roster, but you're not sure if you'll be any good. You know that Tom Brady's in the division. You're not going to win the division this year. And the playoffs are a dogfight. I don't mind stripping it down, acquiring pieces, and trying to make a push for your guys in the future. Because clearly, like some of these picks that were drafted by um, Rex Ryan and Doug Whaley, you know, maybe weren't good picks. I, I, I love the Bills under now. I'm not sure why we didn't hammer that one in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, look, they're not going to be terrible this year because they've still got some some pretty decent pieces. Maybe they're a six, seven win team. And in theory, like they are setting up for the future. But again, my issue, like you're giving up talented young players when what you're looking to do is have talented, talented young, young players. Yeah, can we can we talk Eagles for a second here? Because sure. like, again, like I'll say it, like the Darby thing I think is great. And Nelson Aguilar has apparently been showing out at camp and maybe that that gives uh, Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman and company more impetus to make that deal. But but that's what we had talked about, man. Like we like the Eagles front, right? Like we like their front seven. We like their pass rushers. That secondary had been a concern. Darby's legit. Like I think the Eagles here, like as time's starting to go on, I'm liking the Eagles here as a dark horse contender to maybe win that division. I'm dancing like I was at a piano bar at 2 a.m. right now. That's what I'm. That's how I'm dancing because I'm the Eagles guy. I'm all over the Eagles. I picked them to win the NFC East. People think I'm insane. That division always has turnover. Zeke suspended. Cowboys don't have an offensive line. We both we both don't like the Giants really this year. I'm sorry, kids. The Giants don't have an offensive line. This this is yeah, I just can't even name teams for reference. <laughs> um, the Redskins are okay, but they probably have a ceiling of, of eight to nine wins. I think the Eagles can win the division at nine and seven, maybe ten and six. Really tough schedule, but I agree with you. This defense. Is starting to come around. I mean, Chris Long, Fletcher Cox, Timmy Jernigan, Brandon Grant, Vinny Curry, Elijah Qualls, Derek Barnett. They got a ton of talent on the defensive line alone. Good linebackers. And now you add Ronald Darby, Malcolm Jutis, Roddy McLeod, and Jalen Mills. I mean, they got some bodies back there. If the front seven plays well, I think the secondary can hold up. And if Carson Wentz takes a leap, I think the Eagles win the division. And Derek Barnett with a two-sack debut in Philly's opening preseason game. Now, since I botched that first segue, are you ready for a Nick Costos professional segue here? Yeah, anytime you can do a professional segue that involves telling everybody you're about to segue. Yes, well, I feel like I had to since I completely botched the first one. So hindsight said that the Sammy Watkins move up by Buffalo was bad in the moment. Do you know what other draft day trade in hindsight, like in the moment, look terrible that you don't require hindsight for. The Buccaneers trading up to select Roberto Aguayo in the second round of last year's draft. Will, he survived all of one season and not even a full training camp in year number two before the Buccaneers summarily parted ways with the former Florida State kicker. Nick Folk is now the guy. Aguayo claimed by the Bears. I don't think it's the worst draft pick in the history of the NFL, but I think it's probably on the short list. Yeah, I think worst draft pick in the history of the NFL. I was thinking about that earlier. I feel like to be the worst pick in the NFL, um, it's got to be like a like – a, the stakes have got to be higher, right? Like Aguayo sucks, and he's a mental head case, and you have to – Like the Jamarcus Russell's worst. Ryan Leaf is worse. Like yeah, there, are, there have been worse picks. Right, because like, when you're picking a second-round pick – I mean, there were guys like James Bradbury was available. You know, there's some there's some talented guys in that second round that were available. But the, first of all, the jury's still out on a lot of these guys, and a second round pick isn't going to alter your franchise completely, right? I mean, like the the, the stakes just aren't as high as they are with the top ten pick. I don't want to say like the Sammy Watkins trade is worse than the Aguayo trade, but to give all that up to move up to draft a kicker who plays one year and then have to cut him before his second year in the league when you're paying him a guaranteed contract is pretty humiliating. It's pretty bad. It's bad. Yeah. But I mean, you've seen what Pete Prisco has been saying, you know, and look, everyone bangs on the GM, Jason Light. Prisco has been saying for a while that he feels like it was ownership that he's been hearing that ownership. The Glazer family was the ones who really pushed for that pick to be made. Yeah. I mean, look, it's really bad. But I mean, the Browns have made four worse picks in like the last however many years alone. Trent Richardson, Brandon Whedon, Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel 
all worse picks than, than Roberto Aguayo here. So the Aguayo pick is really bad, but I think we should slow our roll here with saying it's like the worst draft pick of all time. Yeah, there you go. Like, I agree completely. The Trent Richardson pick is, is just worse, right? Like, that's, I mean, like, isn't that a no-brainer? That the, that... Well, I mean, they traded up to take him third overall. So, I mean, definitely, yeah. like you said, the stakes are so much higher in the top five and top ten than they are in the second round when Aguayo got took. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, that, I mean, time is going to Got tell. taken, got took, taken, so, took. Um, I have a very special set of skills. That's what we're taking. Um, see, this is a train wreck. Uh, also a movie. The, um, the thing is, too, look, when you look at these drafts by Jason Light, I mean, they all, I mean look, James Winston, James Winston was not Andrew Luck, number one overall. Like, James Winston was very good, but it took some, you know, you had some concerns off the field about some of the stuff that he'd done. Quan Alexander in the fourth round, Ali Marpet in the second round, Donovan Smith in the second round that year. Then last year, Vernon Hargraves, Noah Spence, the Aguayo pick is a, is a bomb. But they've done some nice things in the draft. I love the, the O.J. Howard pick this year. Chris Godwin, I like. You know, it remains to be seen about these young kids. But, I mean, I think Jason Light has earned himself some leeway where if he had traded up and taken a, I don't know, I mean, like a, like a, like a, like a, a, a safety or something, right? We're not going to blast him because he cuts the safety after one year because the safety's not good. You know, you listen to these comments he made to Peter King of the MMQB.com. He says, look, I want to digest this for a while. And, or actually, Lucy, here's the other quote is, I'm owning up to it, Light said quietly. I'm owning up to it by releasing him. It was a bold move and it didn't work out. I don't know what else to say. I know I had the support of my coach and my ownership. I mean, he sounds like someone whose dog died, but the reality is you just had to cut a kicker. Like, you're not going to kill your team because you had to cut a kicker. Would you like to have a player from that spot on your roster? Hell yeah, you would. But you could survive and you can win this season. And the, the thing is, he made the move to cut him. And moving on is the right thing. I don't think he needs to be sheepish. He's getting blasted a little bit. But I feel like he's just, you know, a guy who made a mistake at late night. I, I, I feel bad for Aguayo, right? Because, it, cause like, well, like, well, here's the thing, right? Like, the guy's, got, guy's physically got it, right? He was awesome at Florida State. Like, we thought, I mean, look, you can kill the pick that they took a kicker and traded up to take a kicker. But I didn't think, like, no one thought he was going to be as bad as he was. Like, we all thought he was going to be pretty good. Like, he's probably a, a freaking basket case mentally here. Like, he's, he's shanking extra points. He's missing field goals here. He knows that he's got it physically, like... I imagine being Roberto Aguayo right now and like having all these question marks in your head about whether or not you can do the job that you physically clearly have the capability to do. I mean, it can't be fun to wake up this morning and be Roberto Aguayo. Like, I can't be fun, even though he landed on his feet and he's in Chicago now with the Bears. All the things you described sound like me right now. Like, imagine having the skills and the tools to do the job that you do for a living, and then one day you wake up and you realize you can't do it. Yes, imagine being in Las Vegas for 48 hours and having 96 vodka drinks in those 48 hours. I can't believe that Coors Light ran out of beer. That's the that's the difficult part. Like, like when you when you mean the city doesn't have any more Coors Light left. Um, Aguayo, though, should probably just go ahead and just just look, just go down to the DMV, buddy. Go in there and say, "Hey, I'm here for the name change." Just do would you, would you be shocked? Ray Finkel, make my name Ray Finkel. Let's move along here. Would you be? He should make himself a third Grammatica brother, Roberto Grammatica, <laughs> join Martin and Bill. There's a chance that he resurrects his career yeah. in Chicago, right? And wouldn't that be like like the ultimate irony for the Bucks? Like they caught him after one year, and he turns out to be decent. The Bears have Connor Barth who's a serviceable kicker. Like, he's not terrible, but, I mean, he's not exactly Morton Anderson, you know? So I wouldn't be shocked if Aguayo was Chicago's regular kicker. No, not at all. I mean, I think this is a guy who who hit a lot of kicks, although I feel like, and I would be interested to go back and look at this from a Florida State perspective in actual detail. I feel like over the course of his career, he made, what, he made all of his extra points. I mean, yeah, slow clock. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's 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 the old extra point in, in I mean, college. Missed, I mean, he missed like like the, the problem is I don't think that you can look at the distances on college football reference. I would love to know what the distances of all the misses he had were because I have a, I have a feeling and a sense that if you looked at his long kicks, that he wouldn't that he probably didn't miss a lot of them. And I also have a feeling, Nick, looking at his at his kicks, that because he played for Florida State, that a bunch of these kicks weren't pressure kicks. Like, I bet, I bet he didn't have that many pressure. I mean, he had some pressure kicks, but I bet he didn't ever have, like, that many to win a game late for Florida State. And, you know, maybe maybe they lost to Oregon. You know, did he no, 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 but they got annihilated by Oregon in That's that game. That's what I'm saying, but it wasn't close. Like, he didn't miss a kick. 
and you go back and I just don't think I, I'm telling you, I just think that they ran away with a bunch of games and it's good to have a nice kicker in college, but that's why you don't invest in kickers. Kickers, but you, but you know, Aguayo did have that one game against Kansas City where he made a, every extra point and I think four field goals, including the game winner when the Bucks beat the Chiefs nineteen seventeen last year to stay in in playoff contention. So it wasn't all bad um, for Roberto Aguayo. So Aguayo is going to go down as a bad draft pick. The jury's still out on Leonard Fournette, and I think we all think Leonard Fournette's going to be, be be pretty good. Looked good in his preseason debut against the Patriots. Said afterwards that the NFL is pretty easy. Slow your roll, Leonard. Let's see how things are in week number one when you're going up against J.J. Watt and the Texans defense. But Fournette now nursing a foot injury. The Jags saying that Fournette will not play in Thursday's preseason game against the Bucks. But, Will, it looks like this is just precautionary. Doug Marone saying he expects Fournette back probably this weekend back at practice. Yeah, I think it's – look, the, the – Fournette will be back there. He'll play in the regular season. You let him sit out. You don't don't give him the wear and tear. And plus, Fournette said it's easy. He knows how to play in the NFL. He doesn't need any more preseason reps. It doesn't matter. The, the, the Jags can have a great – they can have the 85 Bears on the other side of that field. It's not going to matter who their running back is or who their defense is if Bortles stinks. Um, dude, I, yeah. dude, dude, the Bortles situation, man. And, like, this, all this stuff is going on while we're in Vegas, like doing our thing in Vegas. So, like, catching up on all this news. So – in Sunday's practice, Doug Marone gave Chad Henney a bunch of reps with the first team and told the media afterwards that is because Bortles had a tired arm or Bortles is horrendous and they need to see what Chad Henney can do with that first team offense. Dude, it, I, I, I'm not convinced that Bortles is going to start even the majority of the games for the Jaguars this year because you know Tom Coughlin is going to have no patience for that crap with the Hideo Nomo windup and the constant penchant for interceptions and pick six interceptions. Would it shock you if Chad Henney's starting for this team by like week three or week four? It wouldn't shock me. No, I mean, look, if they come out of the gates and they're like 0-3 or 0-4, you're going to have to flip to Chad Henney quickly because you can't let this season and the possibility of, of letting this good defense um, help you get to the playoffs in a bad division slip away because you refuse to sit Blake Bortles. The biggest problem is they haven't they haven't figured out a um, an alternative solution, although, to be honest, it's kind of hard to imagine – Tom Coffin hiring Colin Kaepernick simply for oh, not dude. I right? I, like, I I, not I also for don't political know. reasons, just for like American reasons. No, a hundred percent. That that's the reason why. I mean, I and I think we don't have to sort of dissect that. I think anyone listening can probably agree with what we said um, about Kaepernick, but and Coughlin. But I mean, it, it does seem to be a little foolhardy by Coughlin and Marone to maybe not further address the backup quarterback position. I mean, Henny is fine as a backup, but you had to anticipate that Blake Bortles was going to be Blake Bortles again here. And for a team that could possibly contend for a playoff spot this year, for a wild card spot maybe, and the AFC South is kind of wide open and up for grabs depending on how much you like the Titans and whether Andrew Luck plays 16 games, more on him coming up in a minute. But I just, I don't know. I feel like they probably could have done better at backup than Chad Henney since you knew, since you know Bortles stinks. Yeah, I agree you got to upgrade that position. But, hey, you know, whatever. At least you didn't draft a kicker in the second round. Oh, wait, you drafted a punter in the third round over Russell Wilson a few, few, uh, few years ago. What's Brian Anger doing right now? Where's Brian Anger at? He's being angry. He's angry. Yeah, he's, a, he, yeah he's angry that his name always gets referenced in, uh, in, in accordance with what we just mentioned here. Um, the Andrew Luck stuff. So you've been all over it this offseason, man, saying what the hell's going on with Andrew Luck. So during the Colts preseason game against the Lions, Chris Ballard – goes on with the uh, with the play-by-play announcers and says that Luck's arm looks stronger than ever before, so Luck is throwing again. And then Jim Ursay after the game, says that they don't have a timetable for Luck, but that he's progressing well. So I don't think that we're going to see Luck in week one. It looks like it'll be Scott Tolzien when the Colts take on the Rams in L.A. But I think that you have to be encouraged a little bit, if you're a Colts fan, that we won't that we'll see luck shortly thereafter, even if he's not there in week one, because Ballard also added that he does not expect luck to open up the season on PUP, which would take him out for the first six games. Yeah, they say they don't expect him to open the season with the PUP, and yet at the same time, they didn't expect him not to be ready for week one a few months ago. I think that he is ultimately Nick going to miss a quarter of the season. That's just my guess. I think that's just the way it's been trending here. Wouldn't surprise me if he misses four games. Um, you know, three wouldn't be shocking to see him force him out there a game early. And I don't think the PUP list would be that surprising either. If you need that roster spot and Andrew Luck is not going to be ready, you know, you can put him on the PUP. But a lot of times you see these quarterbacks don't go on the IR, you know, the IR season that you can return from. You don't see him go. Remember, the Cowboys didn't put Tony Romo on the on the boomerang IR or whatever you call it. And uh, you don't see guys go on the PUP because they want the ability, if the quarterback is throwing well, 
to bring them out early. So I don't think we'll see that, but I think we'll see four games missed for Andrew Luck. And if you're the if you're the Colts, you got to start worrying. Um, the biggest concern I have about this is really that the, I like the Texans to to not win nine games and not win the division. And now the Colts are looking like a speed bump for this team. Yeah, and I, look, you know, I, I kind of like Houston. I think more people like Tennessee, but things are shaking out very well for the Tennessee Titans here if, if all this continues with Bortles, if the Texans are having quarterback issues and Andrew Luck's not playing for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, looks like the Bears have a quarterback issue, Will, at least as the starter, the nominal starter is concerned in Mike Glennon. Glennon was atrocious in the opening preseason game, throwing a pick six on pass number two after you signed that big contract. Not ideal, but what probably warmed Bears fans when they went to sleep at night. Dude, Trubisky, your guy, he looked freaking awesome in his first ever NFL action, albeit against second and third stringers, but the guy was making throws that he looked like, dare I say it, Aaron Rodgers-esque. He is very athletic. Uh, yeah, look, the, you know, it's, it's not – you don't want to put too much into it because he was playing the second and third stringers. I think if you flipped him and Mike Glennon, we would not be saying the same thing, right? Like, like Mr. Trubisky was not going to do what he did against the Broncos' first-string defense. But having said all that, when the guy goes out there and he looks comfortable in the NFL field, he's winging the ball around – and he looks like he knows what he's doing and he's playing good football, you have to be thrilled if you're Ryan Pace and the Bears because the investment you made in Mike Lennon and, and Mike Lennon was substantial, but was just financial. You can get out of it. And and listen, that's also the price of doing business at the quarterback position these yeah, days in the yeah, NFL. Totally. And um, we talked about it over the weekend, but I think that you see something similar. And I, I've, said, I've written this, I've said this, but the, there's something similar in the way that the Bears approach the Trubisky stuff similar to how the Seahawks approach things in that they paid big for a free agent in Matt Flynn, and then they drafted a guy in Russell Wilson. Now, not second overall pick, and they didn't trade up to get him, but you still invest in the position at different spots. You're, like you're, the Eagles have, the, the Eagles yeah, did Eagles last did year before the Bradford trade. Daniel, Wentz, because you don't know which one's going to pan out. I mean, quarterbacks, Blake Bortles was great after his second year, right? Like He looked good after 2015, and then he goes in the tank. You don't know how it's going to happen. You need to, in the words of Wu-Tang Finance, diversify your bonds. I I, I love that. I love that. That actually made me feel better. Like I feel physically better I, for the first time in two days after saying hearing that. that made me feel better too. To be honest, like saying that, I was like, ah, I, I got cool. I got something going here. Cool. So, so the next time it takes us forty five minutes to figure out how to work a program on a podcast, you just say diversify your bonds and we'll figure it out. Now for <laughs> like Trubisky, yeah, you like me also had to stop before you finished so the quote. Right. <laughs> so bad. So so. So like when Jared Goff in the preseason last year, like he looked physically slight and he's put that muscle on, right? And there have been times we've seen rookie quarterbacks look overmatched and look, Patrick Mahomes looked pretty good. Watson looked pretty good. But I think the thing that, that you take away about Trubisky, I mean, physically, the guy's unbelievable. Like that third and 17 throw he made on the run, a rope on a dime, like he's got the arm strength. He's got the athleticism. Like if he can put it together mentally, like I think the kid's going to be pretty damn good. Like I might be in on Mitch Trubisky after one preseason game. I mean, sound the hot take alarm, but I mean, it wasn't just that he was good. It was that he was making ridiculous throws. And like, and to me, that's what really stood out. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And like the athletic moving around, making these, you know, like making the passes into tight windows in a spot, even if he's comfortable, that he probably shouldn't be comfortable in because it's his first preseason game. A lot to see from him. I still think Glennon starts out of the gate. I think that the Bears are probably going to struggle. But I mean, you know what? It wouldn't be crazy at all, again, like that Russell Wilson stuff, if they ultimately said, okay, Mitchell's ready to play. He's our second well, round well, pick. I, well, I think what you nailed, and I don't, and look, I, Flynn was a categoric disaster, right? I don't think Glennon's necessarily a disaster. The scenario that you laid out last week, though, when you go through that Bears schedule before the late bye, yep. And then they have a couple home games coming out of the bye. I think that's where you'll see Trubisky come in at that point in the yeah. year. It's a week nine bye. They could easily go. I mean, I'm not even joking. I'm not being flippant here. They could go 0 and 8 in their first eight games if it's a really rough schedule. It wouldn't be surprising whether Glennon or Trubisky were playing if they went 0 and 8 because they're, they're tough places, playing some tough defenses. So to me, it is a very low likelihood. I would say 15%, maybe even lower, that, that Mike Glennon starts the full season for the Bears. All right, so here's the deal. We're about to call Jason Lockhanfora, and there's a chance here that when we call Jason, it's going to screw up the audio that we finally were able to make work after about 45 minutes. So hopefully this is going to work here. So we're going to pause here. We're going to call Jason. I don't think we'll we talk to I think we should just call it. Like, do the like, call do, live. Do, do, do it live? Dive okay. straight into it. Let's just embrace it. 
All right. Copious uh, chest hair, so Brinkman. I like planned it. out poorly. Jason, you, before this like little pause before we hit play, we were going to try and call you on the podcast and just do it live. And surprise, surprise, it didn't work out well. So there's like this total non transition that people complain about. Uh, but you know what? I don't care because Nick and I were in Vegas. As we just informed you, we were totally um, sober at 2 a.m. on Saturday. And so we're feeling very good right now. Uh, the picture that, if anybody heard Jason laugh, the picture that they got is a picture of me soaking wet at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. And I'm just going to recap the story. You guys have already heard it really quickly, but I'll tell it again. So we walk into this bar, this panda bar, and this girl, I've been trying to sneak out. Nick catches me with like 10 dudes. I'm not kidding. This is no, so, oh, yeah. So I kind of need to jump just you know, very yeah, quickly here. So we have a party at the suite where we're staying from 8 to midnight local time. So like we're at 3 a.m. We, we wrap this up Eastern time. So we t- all take the elevator downstairs to go out. And all of a sudden, Brinson's gone. I, I went to say something to him. I noticed he was gone. I knew immediately what he was trying to do. So I see in, him. In Baltimore, we call that pulling the Karpovich sneak, by the way. It's called the yeah. Karpovich sneak. Oh, we call he it, tries yeah. to- it has a name. My, so it was myself and Matt offered of SB Nation. We're like, we when, when we came down the lobby, we knew everybody was going straight outside. So we darted to the right, and he and I were sitting there talking over my thing. He's like, he's like, all right, like, do you, you know, he's like, do you just want to go play a couple of hands of blackjack? And you know, like, because I, I, I wasn't ready to go to bed. I just didn't want to go out huge. I was like, yeah. And he goes, quick, hide. I was like, what are you, doing? What are you you're a weird dude. What are you talking about? And then I turn around, I'm surrounded by like ten of these people who are on this thing. Be like, you're not going anywhere. You're coming with us. No, no, no. But it, it needs to be noted. He was hiding behind a pillar, like it was something from a Looney Tunes cartoon. And I <laughs> see him there. The I saw him hiding. No, he was hiding like like he thought like he was real slick, hiding behind the pillar, like he's James frickin' Bond or something. So we caught him and we brought him out, and then all the chicanery afterwards, which probably led to the fact that it took us an hour to get the podcast on the air today. That is that is correct. But so we get to the bar, and this girl who will remain nameless for whatever reasons. I mean, like, I, I was texting my wife like that on my way to the airport on Sunday morning. The story she's cackling up. So like, I don't. That's not has nothing to do with it. Just so you know. But. She walks in, I walk in and she, she knows that I've been missing. So she taps the top of my beer, you know, to make it foam up. And I'm like, what the yeah. hell? Like, why would you, why would you do that? So I tap the top of hers and she takes it. And actually there's one more part of the, part of the story that you haven't heard, Jason. She, she takes it, puts her finger on the top. I'm like, oh, she's blocking it. Then she tilts it horizontally and just drenches my shirt, just soaks my shirt. And I'm standing there. I'm like, what, what is wrong with you, you mental person? And then all of a sudden I realize that I smell like a sour apple. Because it's not beer, yeah. it's cider. Now, was she was she crushed? Was she wasted? I I don't so I don't was. I mean I think that she was like drunk, but I wouldn't say she was crushed at the time. Like she was very much in control of what she was that's doing. That's a pretty aggressive move. I mean, that's a fairly aggressive move. Like if well, a dude well, does na- that to na- you, na- nameless girl is a fairly aggressive girl. To, yeah. to be fair, but like, but like if another guy does that to you, that's a punchable situation, right? I feel oh, like absolutely. You, yeah. Like if you spray another dude that you and she and I are friends, I guess, but we've probably spent I don't know fifteen minutes in our lives talking. Like I wouldn't spray right. somebody I don't know with cider. I thought it was now great. who who's up in the suite? Is this just other media people? Just this like random people who are in this contest mm-hmm. who spend more to go to this party? Is it like corporate sponsors? No, no, no. It's just uh, just hanging out. It's like a hangover suite, and they've got this like. Everybody's wearing hangover shirts and like has they had, they, like, Tyson, a whole... like like a fake a fake Mike Tyson face yeah. tattoo. They hired a Zach Galifianakis lookalike. There was an ice luge that people were taking shots out of. Like it was ridiculous over the but top. Like who's invited to the party? I guess is what I'm saying. Like just, who's just the, the party people, for? Was, I, I'm pretty sure anybody could have walked up there, but it's just the people who are like in our group and and then the guys from the from the site from Outshark and. And, uh, and it was like, so, like, give me a number. How many people 35? are partying in the hangover? I was, I was going to okay. say 20, 25. So it's not like months. So it's not like this no. is a, like 100 people going crazy, tearing it up. Okay. No, and you could like sit down and chat. And like it wasn't, yeah, you wasn't, it wasn't insane. But there was a, D, there was a DJ set up there. And we did like some there was, guys. There was a magician. The, yeah, there was a magician that almost got punched Ooh. by one of the guys. And Jace, Jason, you'll love this. So Prisco has Prisco no could, I was going to say Prisco and a magician. That can't be good. Like right off the giddy up. <laughs> so Pete, Pete's line to the magician is, you know what would be a great magic trick? If you disappeared. And I just I just lost it. <laughs> what did the magician say? He wasn't a mime slash magician. I mean magician. I assume he, no, he's verbal. No, actually, the, one of the tricks he did was he pulled out four staple guns. He loaded one. He's like, and then he had people in the crowd shoot him with, play staple gun roulette. And afterwards, I was like, all right, dude. So like, for real, like, why didn't you just at least put the staple gun up against your head and like really like make the trick have a little bit of risk to it? He goes, 
oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't know if it's actually going to come out. I was like, well, you're not a magician. You're just an insane person. Yes, 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 yes. You're, you're, you're rolling the dice. And also worth noting, Jason, that while the staple gun trick is happening, Prisco is rooting for the staple to be shot. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. He's, he's got the over on uh, staples that go into this dude's head, yeah. Oh, just oh to be God. clear, I was also rooting for the staple gun to go. Like, he had one on his chest and one, like, on his leg. I mean, people were, I mean, and people were, like, scared to pull the trigger. It's like, just pull the trigger. The guy's asking for it. That's, that's kind of creepy weekend. all around. How was, uh, how was your weekend? <laughs> Me? Yeah, I can't top that. I mean, what the <laughs> hell did I do? I uh, uh, well, you, you I hung road, out with right? John Lynch for a little while on, on what Friday? Where was I Friday? Friday I was still well. Friday all hell broke loose. I was I wanted to go see the Chargers and the Rams, but my you know then Ezekiel, I'm, you know I'm like on the elliptical at nine o'clock in the morning and I'm looking at my email and it's a document and I'm like let me open this up and I'm like oh it's a letter to Ezekiel Elliott about a suspension so yeah, I didn't make it to the Chargers morning practice and I you know did get to the Rams um talked to some people there uh Saturday flew up to San Francisco spent some time they they ended up giving the players pretty much the entire weekend off after their first preseason game I did not get to uh so I didn't get to see them do much, but I did spend a, a decent amount of time with John Lynch and, and uh, enjoyed that. And then Saturday, uh, Sunday, yesterday, I uh, flew up to Seattle, and they'll be on the field spending some time with some Seahawks people today, and then they'll be on the field Tuesday, and then I fly home Wednesday. I did have a crazy flight, though, with an insane person who was trying to attack elderly people on my flight. No, no way. Dude, to the point where, like, we're, like, there was me and another dude who thought it was gone. Like we, we thought we were going to have to physically restrain this guy while we're like in our descent. Cause he tries to like really take it physical in the descent and stand up. I mean, out of his mind, I don't know if he dropped acid in the middle of the flight. I think he must've like, he got on and you're looking at him and you're like, this guy is just a hipster. D- Whoops. I can't say that. Can I guess. Say that. I can, uh, whatever. Can right. you bleep that out? I don't know, That's but you're like, he's bad news, but, but you know, he just seems mildly kind of tweaking. And then midway through the flight, he just unloads just like – I mean, I am the furthest thing from a shrinking violet. The things he was saying to this elderly couple were like any homophobic slur, if he said one, he said 5,000. I mean, F-bombs, MF, anything you can think of. So I like try to change seats with those people. There's only one flight attendant on the, on the plane. He's like a young kid. I had no idea what he was doing. We're, you know, we're like, dude, you need to have somebody on the ground. Like, this is going to go off. We we finally land, and there's not even, like, you'd think you'd have extra Delta personnel, just some extra dudes around if they didn't get the cops. Nobody needed a, uh, a wheelchair, so there's, like, nobody at the gate. So, like, literally, we're trying to hold this dude back while the elderly people can get up the freaking jetway so he doesn't attack them. But what do you mean? Your weekend was way crazier than ours. You hung out with John Lynch. I mean, this all was... happened in 45 minutes. I mean, it's a two-hour flight. The first hour, I'm sitting there reading my little Sebastian Bach book, uh, you know, his biography, everything's low-key. And then I just start hearing this language, and I'm like, what is going on? Two rows behind me. And it's this elderly couple, and this guy is insane. Like, I mean, I, he obviously has issues. He's like, I did two tours in Afghanistan. What the oh, bleep, bleep, no, bleep, bleep did you ever do for this country? And damn. I'm going to take my shoes off and kill you when we get when the plot. Like, it was Wait, direct what? threat after direct so, so, threat. So, 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 so this guy is in, like, FBI custody probably right now, you would imagine. No, there was nobody there. What the There was hell? no cop Delta? waiting. Then I go to the Delta Gate, and I'm like, the dude screaming the F-bombs trying to get the old people? Like, the old people are, like, scampering, like, to their gate or whatever. I'm like, are you going to do anything about that? We don't, no one called from down. No one called from the plane. We don't know what you're talking about. Then I go to the police station in the airport. There's like six seats. Nobody's in them. And I sit there for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, because, you know, I wrote down the seat he was in. I didn't know his yeah, name. but sure. I mean, You know, I mean, wouldn't have been all that hard to get somebody on this guy. And it was crazy. He was with these two younger girls. And, like, you would think that after, like, the 9,000th F-bomb, like, the seventh time that the flight attendant gets up, and like begs him to stay in a seat and to stop assault verbally assaulting these people. Like you'd think they would be trying to get him to shut. They were like almost egging him on. Like not quite like, hey, say some more crazy stuff, but like laughing. Like they they all must have been on. I don't know what they were on. It was, no, I, I, dude, I'm, it was crazy. I'm dead serious. Like you might want to call the police. Like I'm not even kidding around because like that sounds like a I mean like it got to the point where I'm sending a tweet to Delta. Like 
Because I'm like, this, this, this stupid flight attendant, he doesn't get the severity of what's going on here. And I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, maybe he's worried because he thinks he served this guy too much. You know, like, I wasn't paying yeah. attention to what was happening on the flight. But, like, he was going out of his way to do nothing. So I, like, sent a tweet to Delta, like, hey, I really sincerely hope there is, like, police on the ground for flight 5719, whatever, when it lands in Seattle. You did this while you like, were on, in the air, right? Or, well, like, once the plane got low yeah. enough that I, you know what I mean, that, yeah, I, could, yeah. that I could get it to go through. Because we were already in our descent, and so the laptops were supposed to be away, but I'm like, I turned my phone on early, and I'm like, I got to document this because, you know, I'm pretty sure I may have to, like, you know what I mean, try to just attack this dude when he's not looking to get him off these other people. I, I then there was like, another older gentleman who started saying something back to him finally, and then he was all over that guy. Like, when I say insane, I mean complete, like, completely insane. I feel like wow. you have gone – uh, at least a hundred spots up in my good Samaritan rankings of people I know, Jason, because you could—I mean, like you could have easily just not, you know, done anything. Like, well, I mean, I mean, but it's like you're also this guy's in, like so insane to the point where you're like, you're like turning and staring daggers at him and seeing how he reacts and seeing if he says something to you. But like, I, if it got physical, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be the one who escalates it. So it's almost like you're trying to like think like a crazy person. Like, <laughs> what can you do to try to somewhat like? subdue him but not you know what i mean not escalate it yeah, well what's like sure. here's the here's the problem with and it was crazy clear people. there was no air marshal on board so it's God. like and he never even told the pilot like at one point i'm like dude you need to tell the and like he shook his head yeah but clearly he did nothing because when we landed you'd think the pilots like they let this dude off the plane like normal except for me and this other big dude kind of like going real like taking our time in front of them, kind of like human shielding to like give the old people time to get down the runway. But like, here's the problem with crazy people. They're crazy. Like you don't know how they're going to react. So, I mean, that's, that is a tough situation. Wow. I thought like Jason was going to say like, yeah, at a normal weekend, we were the ones that had well, it was normal weekend. except for those two hours. I mean, you know, then I landed here and went to a Tacoma Rainier's freaking minor league baseball game. So, I mean, it couldn't have been more mundane the rest of my Sunday, but like, the last hour of that flight, I was just like, I What's, like so I, I found this tweet you sent. I, I, I literally just found it too. I just yeah, Jason found tweeted it. Hook Delta has cops at the gate for flight five seven nine nine landing in Seattle. Passenger on board should be arrested. But then like Delta did respond back to you like, Hey, do you have details? It's like that doesn't do us any good. Why see I missed that? Because like twenty four hours ago. Twenty four hours ago. Wow. Oh. <laughs> good, good job, guys. Okay. You should send them the details. Like, yeah. Maybe they'll go get the seat. But like, what about these clowns who you mentioned who were like it's like all dads like snitches get stitches. It's like they're not snitches. Oh, dude, somebody. you can't. Don't don't let me in the mentions. Don't even, don't get me started on Twitter. All right, all right. So let's uh, so time to go to your safe place. I mean, what is wrong with these humans? All right, it's time to go to our safe place as a podcast here, mostly football? because I need to take a nap at some point here. So let's talk some foot. Let's talk football. Novel concept. JLC. Let's start with Zeke. You've been all over this from the start. You said you thought it was going to be six games. The NFL had the rock solid case. Now that it is six games, do you anticipate the appeal dropping it down, or what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, I don't know whether it's a rock-solid case, but as they presented it, if you, if you look at the letter um, that they sent him and whatever documentation they had, and then if you, if you didn't listen into the – and most people obviously out there couldn't listen into the conference call with one of the, um, you know, the, the former DA who was one of the four people who advised Goodell – but if you listen or you find the transcripts of that conference call, they are making what they believe is a very strong case. Now, whether it would ever have held up in a court of law, you know, as to the veracity of what they consider to be evidence, I can't speak to. I obviously wasn't in that apartment on those three nights and early mornings. But as they presented it and as they wrote their domestic violence policy, I see no way they could not have given him at least six games. Now, Will they lower it on appeal? After having a year to investigate this and after spending time with Elliot and his lawyers, what, just on June 26th and, and taking as long as they did to issue this edict, you would think they wouldn't back down now. I mean, you would think they've said, hey, this is our policy and we believe you did these things. And so you're getting six games. But <laughs> there is no precedent for this in that each of these cases are different. The amount of quote unquote evidence you have and the amount of irrefutable evidence you have differs in all these cases. Um, but they are coming out very strongly and saying specific in areas of her body, which the league believes he assaulted a female on three different occasions in a week. By their own standards, if that's what they've found, then you would say logic would dictate 
six games and nothing but six games at least, and nothing's going to – you know what I mean? What's what's going to change that on appeal? But they often do lower things on appeal. I, I Look, Greg Hardy went from 10 to 6. Go read any of the copious amounts of documentation about Greg Hardy and that incident. It's it's downright terrifying, and it's still got lessons. So, look, I can't speak to what the league will do and how Goodell will ultimately act, but if they had put that letter out and they had had that conference call and said, this is and it's two games, I think a lot of people would have been apoplectic just because when is your own standard ever going to apply? You created the standard. You, this was your post-Ray Rice reaction. You guys did this all on your own. Nobody made you do it. When will it actually be applied? No, I, I'm with you. And I think it's interesting, too, that people seem to be upset. They're like, oh, of course, the league's suspending a guy six games. It's like, well, what, what, people are like, oh, where's the Josh Brown comparison? It's like, what, are, what are you talking about? Like, they, they, they set a standard. And they said, we're going to suspend. We're going to try and be more aggressive in our pursuit of, of like, Clearing domestic violence out of the league and out of you know these players who commit domestic violence, and they gave him six games. Like I don't see any reason to be mad with the league, and I think that the league is smart because if you go to six games and you do reduce to four on appeal, no one's going to be mad, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I don't know. Some people, I don't know that you're ever going to please everybody. I mean, this is such a scourge, and 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 we're talking about, um, you know, it. The, it, it's so hard to know exactly what did happen, you know. Sure, but it's, it's a he said. They she said they have they, they 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 couldn't have taken any more time with this than they took, and they really couldn't have involved any more people in it than they involved. And yes, there are inconsistencies in Tiffany Thompson's story, and yes, they know of one alleged incident that she claimed she was pulled out of a car, and that that didn't happen, and she tried to get somebody else to go along with her story, but. The league and its investigative arm found, like, despite that incident, they strongly believe there were these three other incidents where Ezekiel Elliott calls that the the the, the physical um, marks on her body were attributable to him. We don't we we're not in that room. We don't know. But you know, basically, his workplace, his employers have found that they believe he did these actions, and they have a policy that calls for six games. Um, after the appeal, it sounds like he wants to go nuclear and go into the courts. I don't know. This is not like the flake game, you know, where you had uh, you had a, a in-game manual that said it should be a fifty thousand dollar fine. You know what I mean? And then they gave him, you know, they gave him a quarter of the season. They have a policy that says six games for this stuff. You know what I mean? And I don't know that any judge is going to necessarily know, just like us, what happened in that room. And both sides will have evidence, but I don't know that what they're going to have will be you know, completely in, incontrovertible. I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, you would think everything his legal team has, they would have presented prior to this ruling coming out. All right, we'll see how the Zeke situation ends up unfolding. JLC, tell us about your conversation with John Lynch. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I hadn't thought about the 49ers all that much, right? I mean, they were such an afterthought last year. They lose 13 straight games. And you know the roster's in disrepair and um, – you know, and you, you know, they're not particularly sexy right now, but, you know, then I'm, I'm, you know, watching their game the other night, and it's just one preseason game, but, you know, I'm watching that, and I'm looking at their roster some more, and I'd spent two days with the Rams, and, yeah, you know, and I'm not, I think the Cardinals are, are, are closer to being pedestrian than they are great. And then you just start looking at and thinking about other teams I've seen, and I'm like, you know what, the 49ers are going to win some games. Like, I, I, the defense, the front seven has a, has a potential to be outright menacing. Like, it could be a really good group. If the two D tackles can stay healthy and, and, and they've been hurt, and if the two older linebackers can just plug up holes, I mean, they're smart enough to know where to be. I, I, I really like what they have going there. I think Reuben Foster is going to be all over the field. Solomon Thomas found his sea legs in that preseason game after, um, you know, look, he was a Stanford kid, and they've got that trimester thing, right? So he couldn't. He couldn't take part in any of the stuff they were doing in the spring. and So that was the first time he really got going. And then you spend some time with John Lynch, and and, and you, you truly see how much he's trying to make this thing with Kyle Shanahan work. And I don't know if it will work, and I don't know if either one will see out their five- or six-year contracts. 
But right now it's pretty simpatico. And if Kyle just does his thing on offense, I mean, he had the Cleveland Browns seven and four with Brian Hoyer as his quarterback at one point. I mean, they weren't doing it with defense that year. I mean, it was, you know, Hoyer targeted what? I think there was a game where he targeted Josh Gordon 25 times in a game or something. Yeah, so, like, they were doing it in the passing game and, and, you know, making chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. I think they're okay at tackle. I don't like the interior of their offensive line, and I don't like their secondary, but you're not going to fix everything. But, I mean, they were 2-14. and Like, I think they'll triple their win total. I I don't think they're an embarrassment. I think they could be a 6- or 7-win team. Um I, I really do, uh, and, and I think, that, again, defensively, I think you're going to see some pretty significant um, improvement right from the giddy-up. You, you and I are ex- on the exact same page with the 49ers. I mean, like, I've, I've said this, uh, I don't know if I said it in the podcast, I've said it, like, out loud, I can't remember where before, but I think that, I think you're right, I think the front seven is good, I think it covers up for a secondary that has some talent, and then you're just looking for Kyle to rig some stuff on offense, and he can do that with a guy, with two guys. And Pierre Garçon and Brian Hoyer that know his system, and a running back in Carlos Hyde, who, while maybe not a perfect fit for that zone running style, is still a really good and really talented running back. And I'll tell you what, too, Marquise Goodwin. That's you know he's Mm. been he's been kind of like that's another type of like that's exactly what I'm saying. Like he'll take that guy and he'll manifest that speed, and he'll find two or three routes he runs really really well that nobody can stop. You know he's not going to ask him to be complete everything, but I think he'll hit some home runs for him. And the fullback use check, I mean, did they overpay for him? Probably, but they're going to get use out of him. I bet he catches 55, 65 balls. Whoa. So they've got, I mean, it's not sexy weapons, but it, in, in the way Kyle runs his offense, they'll be productive, effective weapons. And, they'll, you know, they'll get maybe more high-end talent on that side of the ball over time. But I, I don't know, man. I like them more than, you know, you, you just and even just some of the stuff Lynch and I talked about that, that won't, you know, go in my story or whatever. It's just, it's pretty impressive. And I really like what they did in the draft room and they're picking up guys who they know fit. And I, I think they're going to be, I, again, I, I, I'm not saying they're making the playoffs. I'm not even saying they're 500, but when they literally lost 13 straight games last year and were just, they, they were, I mean, they were hard to watch. I mean, that was a difficult football team to watch. They're going to make some strides. Yeah. The uh, Seahawks still the division favorites by a long shot. Uh, or you're, you're in Seattle now, as we know, because we call some team of Hilton Seattle, I think. But, oh, wait, I probably shouldn't. I guess people don't care. It's not, it's not the Hilton, but, yeah, don't but say no more. You're at the Doubletree Seattle. <laughs> I'm at an undisclosed Seattle location. <laughs> um, I'm at a hostel. People would say I don't like you anyway. Fine. What, uh, have you been to the Seahawks camp, or are you going to Seahawks camp? And... No, they're off today, so I'm, I'm going to – I'm catching up with some – Seahawks officials this afternoon and then I'll be at their practice tomorrow. I'm hoping to get Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett at the same time. And I'd like to just I'd like to do a story where we just sit down for fifteen minutes and I just run the tape recorder and, and just exploring the idea of stick to sports and how we've reached a point where anybody who's still clinging to that idea that athletes should just stick to the sports or whoever just like politics is so bled over into everything from the Kaepernick thing and to more and more guys who are going to continue to sit during the national anthem like that's a cute little quaint thought I mean that's great but it you know we also used to watch black and white television like it ain't you know what I mean it, it's it's gone and I think those two guys would be interesting to talk to about it yeah right, we'll be looking forward to that yes yeah, as, as, as the week goes on here. Now, I don't know if that's gonna happen you know what I mean like uh, you know that's that's my goal. Whether whether I I'm able to execute that or not, um, we'll see. But well, I, I'd I thought, like. You know. I thought Bennett had a great quote after the game on Sunday. He said, "Listen, I like hot dogs. I like the military. I like America. But I don't, you know, like I don't like hate." And so he's looking for. I mean, like I'm cool with that. I mean, I was having a on Sunday morning. I was having sort of a a, 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 a mental breakdown. I was like tweeting. I was like tweeting happy. Like, people are going to be kind of strange. I was walking around the airport handing up dollar bills. I'm not kidding. No, and, and like Jay just to like sort of set the scene where like as this is all going down in Charlottesville, I'm sure people familiar with that NFL podcast, so we're not going to get really into it. We are literally like seven or eight drinks in, like walking, playing the Game of Thrones slot machine with Prisco. Like, it's so, like we were not really like paying total attention to it, but we knew what happened. And to Will's point, I think it wasn't until really Sunday that we really started to digest it and really be like, wow, like. So I, I didn't have a problem with what Michael Bennett did or what Marshawn Lynch did. And so I, I'm kind of with you here on the whole, like, not sticking Chris, to sports, especially with this current climate. Chris Long noted, yeah. too. He's like, look, I'm from Charlottesville. I played high school in Charlottesville. I went to UVA. Uh, you know, that's 
that's part of me. I mean, something happens in Raleigh. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a sports writer, but I inherently have some some vested interest in it. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, I, 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 I don't plan on everywhere I go talking, you know, politics with people. But but given some of the the comments those guys have made and how outspoken they've been, you know, I'd like to flesh that out with them. But I mean, look, there's there's plenty of football going on here. I don't know if you guys saw any of the Seahawks game with the Chargers. I mean, that was. I don't want to make too much of any preseason game, but that was a, a full-blooded emasculation. I mean, that was the varsity against the sixth-grade B team. Um, the 48-17 is bad, even in the preseason. And you know what my big takeaway from that game is, and fantasy people listening to this, Thomas Rawls is going to be the number one running back for Seattle. Like, Lacey did not look good. Rawls is running with the ones. I think Thomas Rawls is going to have a big year if he stays healthy. Well, the, and the kid Carson, who played most of the game, there'll be a role for him as well. Yeah, I, I, the division of labor at that position is going to be interesting because they're they're pretty deep there. I thought Boykin looked the part in a way I'd never seen him. Now, again, it's against the Chargers' number two defense. You know, that front four, the Meebane, Legit, uh, uh, Ingram, Bosa. You know, he didn't see those. He didn't see a whole lot of that fearsome foursome. But but still, I, I just you looked at, at some of the go routes he was connecting on with uh, the Kaysan Williams kid, just the way he comported himself, how he handled himself in the huddle, um, how he knew when to kind of street ball it and when not to. I, you, just, you saw a lot of lot of things you liked there. The Seahawks played their first string offensive line. They played it a couple different iterations because they're still sorting it out. But, you know, the six or seven guys they think will play the most played a, a bulk of that first half and some even into the third quarter. And they obviously need to sort that out. And, and they seem to be making some strides in that regard. Um, and then just seeing Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor both back there healthy together, you know, that's not something I don't know that we ever saw last year, both of them fully healthy on the field at the same time. And that obviously makes a difference. Yeah, I, I think they run away with, with the division. And, and honestly, the more I've been around now, I've seen almost half the league, and I'm not basing all of my sort of prognostications on what I've physically seen with my eyes. But like a lot of these divisions, I don't know how competitive it is. Like, Pittsburgh's going to run away with the North. I don't think there's a second good team in that division. New England always runs away with it. You know, I think Seattle wins that division by three games or four games. Green you know, Bay. Green Bay, you know? I mean, are they, is Detroit going to really be able to stay with them? Or is Green Bay going to have a four-game lead by Christmas, you know, or, or you know, early December? I mean, the more you kind of think about it, there might be two or three divisions that are interesting. I mean, I still don't care about the AFC South until they have a team that can win in the playoffs. So you just kind of like start doing a little bit of the math in your head and you're like, this, this might not be the greatest year for, you know, divisional races. Final question, JLC. What are you hearing around the league or your take on what the Bills did on Friday, unloading Sammy Watkins and Ronald Darby, picking up a second and third round pick in the process? Talked to several general managers about it as I've sort of made my rounds since it happened. And it actually went down while I was in L.A., so I had a chance to get with Les Snead and some people about it that very day. Um, universally, people love what Brandon Bean did, and they think it was a desperate, you know, potentially, um, I don't know regime crushing move for the Rams if it doesn't work out, if this guy gets hurt. I mean, if you're going to give up, you know, that, that corner they gave up can play a little bit. I mean, it'd start 10 games for them, like, not just like the 53rd guy on their roster. And that two is going to be a real high two. And they don't have Watkins signed. If you're, if you're parting with all that in, in, in these transactions, you better know what a fixed cost he is. And it better be at your price, not his. That kid has all the motivation in the world now to squeeze them as much as possible, and he might go out and re-aggravate his foot in week three. Like, And then you got Aaron Donald sitting there saying, yeah, yeah, go take care of this cat who's old, right, who's never played down for you, and then watch when I still don't come. And, you know, he's sitting there saying, yeah, you're going to do that, then, you, you, you know, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to buck in even more, then you better have everything I want for me. I'm the best player on the team. I don't like it, man. And now there's this expectation that Jared Goff's going to be better. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think you could put Jared Goff with, you know, the 84 49ers. And if he ain't got it, he ain't got it. So I don't know, man. I, I think that it's sort of one separate move there to, to try to make this thing work. And I, I do think there's a PR factor as well. When I say that those two teams have no buzz in Southern California, they have no buzz. Like at their joint practice, that was pretty cool. You know, the Rams fans are into it. But then does one have more day, than the other? There's Jason? 12 people there. Like, you know, and the Chargers couldn't sell out the StubHub for their first game ever there. 
I know it's a preseason game, but I mean, the Rams did get, I was at the game a year ago, the Rams' first game at the Coliseum, there was a legit 92,000 people there. The Chargers couldn't beat the LA Galaxy's crowd from two nights before they played, and the LA Galaxy stink this year. Like, that ain't good. I mean, it holds 27, and you're two-thirds full? Ew. So, I know it's only exhibition football, but I don't know, man. So, I think it was an element of, you know, the next day they make that trade, and all of a sudden, there's three stories in the LA Times about the Rams on the front page of the sports section, you know? Whereas before it was all Dodgers, 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 and LeVar Ball and getting ready for the Lakers. And, you know, even the Mighty Ducks. I mean, the Mighty Ducks have a way bigger presence in, in Orange County. I mean, Orange, I that, that's Orange insane. County that is insane. Going to restaurants, mighty... talking to people, sitting in bars, talking to people. Nobody was like, oh, man, I can't wait for the, that Chargers game at the StubHub on Saturday night. I mean, I don't know, man. We'll see. But I think it had something to do with, okay, yeah, football – but also, like, we need something in this offense we can sell. I do think Cooper, the, the Cooper Cup kid, will be will be helpful for them right away. Um, but now they've at least got a semblance of a deep threat and somebody they can exp- expand the field with, at least on, in theory. You know, how does that foot come along and how much money do they have to pay this kid? I don't know. And then from the from the Bills, I think it's great. They weren't ever they were never going to sign Watkins. They've taken guys who were the pets of the former GM, and they've systematically gotten rid of them. They got rid of Cardell Jones, who the GM, the old GM, was trying to push, you know, the coaching staff to play late last year, or certainly just anybody other than Tyrod. And you've got Watkins, who was everything was always about Sammy Watkins because they gave up way too much to move up and get him in a year where they could have just stayed there and taken Odell Beckham. So that you know made Watkins a bone of contention. Uh, and then Darby is a nice player, but I don't know how much he fits what McDermott wants to do. And, you know, they've got to get their house in order financially a little bit as well. I like the high – they're going to get, what, a high two and probably a high three. They're loaded for bear in the first three rounds next year. If they need to get a quarterback, they can. And if they don't, then they're going to be able to maneuver around to get a couple of corners and maybe, a, a you know, some kind of DT to phase out Marcel Darius. Uh, I like it. I'm, I, I like what Brandon Bean's done. I, I don't. I don't know that it's going to be great for this year, but they're not <laughs> winning this year, and eventually they've got to become a legit playoff team. I mean, it's hard to miss the playoffs as many times as they have. Yeah. Jay, appreciate it, and uh, enjoy Seattle, and try to try to avoid that lunatic that was on the flight with you. And we'll catch up with you later in the week. Yeah, I don't think we hang out in the same spot. He's not staying at my hostel. All right, Probably buddy, be good. Uh, but no, I don't think so. Be right. good, buddy. Thanks, Godspeed, buddy. boys. Thanks. All right. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. For Nick Costos, for Jason Lacafora, for Pete Pisco, who will be joining us later this week. I am Will Brinson. This is the Pick Six Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review at the Costas on Twitter, at Will Brinson, at Jason Lacafora, at Pisco CBS. Uh, we should play a pick, uh, pick Six Podcast handle, right? Do we get um, uh, full of adult beverages over the weekend and decide to rename the podcast? I feel like that happened. Um, I think that did happen, but I'll be honest with you. I don't remember having the conversation, so not 100% sure. <laughs> you know what we're going to call it? It's going to be called At Struggle Boss CBS in memoriam. We, it's 4.20 right now. on the We, we, try, we tried to start recording this four over hours. Two, hour, two hours yeah, ago. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a long time. Right. It was actually a good show. It was a fun show, and uh, we'll have Pete back on Wednesday. We will do a full Vegas breakdown. Uh, that was just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the nature of us in Sin City. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys. Later.